Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. Today's guest is not a Mississippian by birth, but you can bet we are claiming her. Beth Kander lived in Jackson for about 10 years after earning her MFA in creative writing at the W. While in Jackson, she was actively involved in the theater as an actor and a playwright, and now, well, she's in Chicago, where she's just written and published Original Sin. It's a novel in which our opinion should have Hollywood knocking on her door any day now. Beth, welcome back. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you, Marshall. It's so good to see you. I mean, I've been stalking you on social media for a while. <laughs> well, it's and... a mutual stalking, which makes it much less creepy. Yeah, th- thank you. I feel better. <laughs> I feel like the authorities aren't about to come through the door on us. Um, All good. I've always known you were a great writer, but your plays have always really just jumped out at me. What made you go from saying, okay, I'm going to write plays to, hey, I think I got three novels in me. Thank you. Uh, Anxiety is the short answer. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read an article that uh, was about this impending singularity and the fact that someday man might merge with machines. And my mind did not immediately go to the stage and the sort of budget that something like that would require. But I was really sort of thrown and freaked out by the idea. So I knew I had to write about it because that's how Mm -hmm. I process anything. And at first I thought maybe it's an essay. And then it was kind of a short story. And then it was a book. And then I went, oh, oh, I'm going to process by writing a dystopian trilogy like a normal (laughs) person does. And that's sort of how it came about. Because I know when I sit down to write, I'm not even going to try to compare our writing ability because you're about a million miles ahead of me. But that said, when I write, sometimes I just see a picture in my head and Mm -hmm. then I just try to describe that. Is that what you do? I think you're more visual than I am and I could go on about your artwork. But for me, I I sort of hear hear. voices. Yeah. um, And I hear... Uh, characters sort of emerge. My stories usually start with the people in them. And I think that could largely be playwriting and theater background, that I start with that character work and Mm -hmm. backstory, and then that sort of gets me into the narrative. Um, But I learned two phrases just in the last couple of years, which there are really only two kinds of writers, plotters and pantsers. Okay, so plotters like map everything out. Right, the J.K. Rowling, I'm going to write every detail out for seven books. Right, and a pantser flies by the seat of their pants and just (laughs) has an idea, sees something, and then tries to get to it, and then later will like retrofit sort of more structure around it. And I like to say that I am sort of a recovering pantser who is Mm -hmm. relieved to be more of a plotter (laughs) now. I'm about to say, because I mean... And I'm, I'm a pantser when I write a short story or something like that because I picture a scene and then suddenly I just see where it goes. Yep. But if you're doing a book, you really can't do that. Well, there's so many details to track. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like right. J.K. style, yeah. I get really nervous about what if there's a thread that I don't remember to tie back in. So I have right. a lot of lists and charts and, yeah, I kind of have to plot it and map it all out. And, and since you were here, of course, you've gotten married. Mm-hmm. Yay. You had a you have an absolutely gorgeous Thank daughter. Thank you. She is pretty awesome. She's pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. And the Halloween picture that you did, <laughs> you put up. I remember you saw that. Saw it on Instagram. I was like, that's awfully cute. It's it's pretty. Yeah. It's almost painfully cute. Yeah. Which is good. Like we said, we were joking earlier. That's how children survive. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they definitely. are built so that they are too cute for us to ever just get too frustrated to completely walk away from them. Right. But that between that and having you know, of course, rescue dogs, your life's incredibly busy now. How do you <laughs> yes. how do you take time to write? How, I mean, how I do everything else is by making time to write. Right. I mean, it really is my, not not just my happy place, but I mean, it's actively my thinking place. It's my processing. I mean, in the same way that some people really need to run or go to yeah. yoga or 
go to services. Um, that's one of the ways that it's I sort of meditation. reconnect. It is, yeah. yeah. And when I really get into the groove, I feel like the most myself. So even though it's hard to carve out the time when I do, it's sort of like that old saying, um, you know, if you you should carve out half an hour a day for meditation, yeah. and if you don't have half an hour, carve out an hour. Oh wow! So yeah, I mean, that's really how I approach writing. I don't have time to do it, which means I need to make time to do it. Are you one of those kind of people that get up at four in the morning when it's quiet and sit there and write? Because I mean, I've always thought those people are incredibly noble, and I just don't know how they they're do so it. noble. And yeah. I am not. Okay. I wish I, I wish I could be that person. I have. A, friend who does that. I mean, she gets yeah. up at 4 a.m. every morning before her two kids get up at 6. Wow. Yeah. And if I had that in me, I would do it. Um, and I don't. I steal time at different points mm-hmm. during the day and over the weekend and figure out where I can. But no, sleep is also is also kind of important You know, to and me. believe it or not, it actually helps you be creative. It's true. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. yeah sleep deprivation is not a performance enhancer. No, no. no. It's a re- the, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it's it a really real is. block. No, I, I, you know, I didn't realize it. And I think that's kryptonite for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I mean, last week I have not gotten much sleep and I've been sitting there just doing cartoon ideas going, you know. Yeah. And, and when that's scary when you can't think of something. Do you ever have writer's blocks like that? So I don't believe in writer's block writ large. I believe in it on a project. Like I think you can write yourself into a corner or be really stuck on something and not know how to move that project forward. I always have too many writing projects going on. So when I get to that point in a book, I just jump over to a play. And usually when I'm working on some other creative endeavor, something unlocks in the back of my mind and then I can get back through that block. I had Mike Peters tell me, Mike Peters is an editorial cartoonist and does Mother Goose and Grimm. He once said, don't worry about coming up with an idea every day. It's like worrying about brushing your teeth. You know you're going to do it. Yeah. So and you're right. If you just jump to something else, everything's cool. So, But have you ever had just days you're just going, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. Forget this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and taking a day break yeah. is fine. Okay. I think that's what saves us from getting to the point where we're like, I just, I, for three days in a row, I felt stuck. And so maybe I just shouldn't do this. You know, right. when you push yourself too hard and you're not sleeping and you're not eating and you're forcing it. Oh, so like when um, you have a young child. Uh-huh. So when you're a parent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's even harder. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think that it's healthy for anything, even when it's what we love, to take little breaks here and there. But I really, I, I don't think I could go more than a day yeah. without at least scrawling a little something. Because that's the thing. And, and that's why I enjoy following you on social media because... I mean, you'll even when you, I can tell when you're taking a break because then you'll write <laughs> something on there. It's kind of like your go-to on yeah. there. Oh, he's on to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty smart like that. I, I will say this, though. The one thing I've really enjoyed, and this is just from somebody who, you know, I, I managed to get a career where there's very few jobs. You've managed to do it now. You've landed a book. You've, you've won many awards for your plays. But you've also suffered a lot of rejection. And I think, and you just got back from a high school where you were telling the kids about that. Yeah. I think that's probably the number one thing that anybody who ever wants to chase a dream has to understand. You're going to hear no. Yeah. Well, and rejection is hard. I think especially artists tend to be sensitive. And there's so much of yourself that you put into something that you draw or write. You know, it's your attempt to connect with other people. So when someone says, I'm uninterested in your connection... (laughs) It can be really painful. Uh, one of the things, when I got to my uh, 100 rejections goal, which yeah. is something I'd been working on for yeah, a while. Please tell us about that because I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, so, all right. Here's, okay. here's the nutshell version okay. of that. Um, I was this close to having a really, really exciting deal for Original Sin about yeah. 
uh, four years ago really? with a really big publishing house. Um, and at the last minute, the final editor who is, you know, locking in the deal decided to take a pass because they had enough of that type of series at the time. Wow. And uh, it had been with this big publishing company for three years. I was not allowed to submit elsewhere while it was with them. Yeah. So, I mean, for three years it had been in queue. Yeah. And the good news was I wrote the subsequent two books while the first one sat with them. <laughs> right. So it wasn't an unproductive three years. But I really hit a wall at that point. And I'm not easily shaken. But it really was a moment where I went, you know, I have a day job. I had just had a kid. Like, I yeah. have, like, all these, you know, things. I just got married. Not have a kid yet. Um and so I thought, is, is this where I just stop? Like, do I give really? up trying to professionally write? And I'll just still journal or do social media rants, but like, maybe I need to take a break from saying, I'm gonna be a writer, I'm you know, putting all this out there. I'll just do plays, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna do books. I'll take a break. And then I sort of pushed through that wall and said, all right, you know what, I can, I can do that. I can walk away from trying to make this work, trying mm -hmm. to be a novelist, but only after I get 100 more no's. Wow. I want to mindfully pursue a hundred rejections. And if yeah. I can't get these projects picked up, and if I don't learn anything over the course of getting a hundred rejections, I'm out. I'll write plays, I'll do it for fun, but I'm not going to try to really make a serious yeah. go of this. Uh, so that's how I started the hundred rejections journey. I just, you know, sort of a nice yeah. number, a milestone to keep in mind. And I thought I could hit a hundred in a year, which I couldn't. It took almost two years to get a hundred rejections, yeah. uh, some of which, you know, they don't send you, you know, you apply for certain fellowships or opportunities and then you see the press release and someone else got it and go, okay, 72. <laughs> um, but I did learn a lot over mm -hmm. the course of getting a uh, hundred rejections. Now, was this a hundred rejections just for writing or all the way across the board? Because you can like, you know, you raise your hand to get a cab and they drive past <laughs> you. That could count as one, couldn't no, it? No, only, only for writing, not okay. just for this book. Okay, but just um, for anything, anything any writing okay. related. So yeah. submitting short stories, submitting original sin places, uh, querying agents, anything that was writing related, I counted, you know, if I got the official rejection. And I did also get eight acceptances on the way to 100 oh, rejections. that messes everything up. Did you have to start over? <laughs> it wasn't a reset button, okay, but I would, so. I would track those too. Yeah. And one of those was getting original sin picked up. Wow. And so one of the things I learned was, okay, you know what? I am going to hit 100 rejections, yeah. and I'm not going to walk away at that point. Right. Because that's, you know, that's what it takes is being willing to get the hundredth letter that says, I just didn't fall in love with this project, yeah. which is my least favorite line, by the way, in rejection letters. Really? That is good. Because it makes it so personal. See, like I heard I, that like in I, high school I, when I tried to ask a girl out. Well, didn't it hurt? It, well, yeah. I just didn't fall in love. Well, you know, this is yeah. just, it's not me. Yeah. It's you is what that says <laughs> Right, to me. exactly. So... But yeah, I'm now, I'm still tracking, although mm -hmm. not posting about it as much. Do you keep a much. spreadsheet? You know, just... I used to very obsessively keep the spreadsheet. And I actually had a playwright, Gary Garrison, sort of call me out on that when I was in a workshop with him once. He said, you're the sort of person that keeps a spreadsheet to track all your submissions, mm -hmm. aren't you? And I felt very seen. Like, yes. Like, how did you know? I, I am. He's like, stop doing that. You're only driving yourself crazy. Because, I, I mean, his point was well taken. Right. When you are going to be accepted, when someone wants to produce your play or pick up your book, they'll get in touch with you. Right. And just staring at the list of who to wait for is only maddening <laughs> to it, yourself. It is maddening. And, 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 you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit. I remember when I was trying to get syndicated. The, the rejection letters, you know, you learn how to say, okay, this one's just a form letter. Yeah. 
This one, oh, they actually signed it with their hand. It's got blue ink. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, this one actually has a little bit of constructive criticism. So you actually can even look at your rejection and say, okay, well, I'm getting closer. Yeah, and I read a, a helpful article not too long ago that also said, we tend to think of a rejection as a forever rejection. Yeah. But when you get one that has that encouraging note, that has someone actually took the time right. to give a little constructive feedback, those are the ones you should actually save. And when you have something that's a little stronger or a little more specific to what they're looking for, right. write them again and say, I so appreciated your feedback the first time. Here's my next project. Oh, that's great. And that's yeah. actually a good entry point. That is a very good idea on that. Tell us a little bit about the book. You, like you said, you mentioned how you came up with it. Um, Tell us about the characters because there's you've got some and I love the play on the title too. By the way, oh, that is so you. That really <laughs> any was. little wordplay, yeah, a little can bit sneak of wordplay because that's one thing I was like, she's really good at wordplay. Oh, original sin. Oh, I get it now. Uh -huh. I, yeah. The parents. Oh, I understand now. You know, so talk talk about the the book and about the characters and yeah. What. Well, I'll say I'll say this. I'll start by saying I love science fiction. Yeah. But I sort of see the series as sci-fi that is also for the non-sci-fi lover because right. I tend to not write that, right? I write plays and literary fiction and sort of more mainstream stuff. Well, you write a lot of humor, too. I do, yeah. and I couldn't keep that out of there. Like, yeah. this is not serious everything. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a dystopian nightmare, but it's, you know, also funny. It's a funny yeah. nightmare. I have those every day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the yeah. characters are very important. The narrators um, alternate chapter by chapter. Yeah. Because I wanted it to be, and this is very much the playwright in me, sort of an ensemble cast of right. characters where we're not getting just one take mm -hmm. on the world, but we're getting to chip away at that reality through many different uh, viewpoints. Right. So some of the central characters are Air and Ever. It's yeah. another little play on words very directly there. Uh, I'll get into some more subtle ones in a minute. Um, but Air is an original. So he is from the masses of people who were not able to augment when some citizens were able to fuse with machines. Right. And then there's the synthetic citizens or sins. So that's mm -hmm. where we get to original sin, um, who 50 years before this book even starts, um, merged with machines, potentially infinitely extending their lives, adding all of these extra abilities that mm -hmm. they have through the technology. And it drives a real wedge between people. Um, so the gap is bigger and bigger between the sort of have sins and the mm -hmm. have not originals. Uh, and really that's what it comes down to me are these big questions of how did we get to where we are and how can we get to somewhere better? And I think those are like driving all of the characters on both sides. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily easy, good guys, bad guys. Not all of the sins are evil. Right. And, you know, they can cite things like, well, if we only had a smaller population that was augmented and lived forever, we wouldn't be destroying the planet the way that we are. Right. And can sort of make the case, like, no one sees themselves as a bad guy. Because in real life, very few, few people see themselves as Oh, even Thanos thinks he's a good guy. Right, he's doing the right thing. Exactly. If you ask him. Mm -hmm. um, so that's Aaron Ever. Yeah. We also have Cal, who is Air's cousin, mm -hmm. who's sort of like the better, stronger, faster Air, and yet initially doesn't get to be the hero. Right. And what does that do to you? When you know you're more capable than someone, but they keep getting ahead, mm -hmm. uh, we get to follow his trajectory along that. Uh, we have Dr. Felix Hess, the father of Ever, who's also one of the architects of the singularity and mm -hmm. sort of the lead sin. Uh, his two assistants, Jorge and Kennedy, also have some interesting roles to play. And then there's Shadower, whose true identity is not revealed in book one. Okay. No spoilers. Um, but a figure sort of moves through both worlds and starts to pull strings as these two destined to clash peoples are moving closer to 
Yeah, the next and, and I like thing. how you you know Air and Ever both are going to kind of be. It's almost a Romeo Juliet. Type. A little bit, a little, a little bit. bit. Although I will say, there's a lot of other uh, yeah. narratives that almost sort of push aside the traditional one because we're always looking for that, right? Like, right. where's the Romeo and Juliet? Where's the love exactly. story in these two? And I won't say it totally goes away. Right. And again, no, no spoilers. I know that uh, I'll tick a lot of people off if I do that. Um, but I really love uh, shows like Lost and Orange mm-hmm. is the New Black and books like the uh, Game of Thrones, Song of uh, Ice and Fire series where you don't have just this one character right. who informs everything, but you realize oh, each new character that I meet has this whole world that is their story right. and gets to build out something even more interesting. Well, that's what I've enjoyed, you know, the, the, as far as I've gotten into it. I didn't finish the whole book, I will admit that, but I am, I'm going to finish it. I'll hold you to that. Please do. Yeah, we'll just, I'll, I'll send you a note when okay, I do great. it with proof of, you know, I'm putting take that a on picture. my spreadsheet. Okay, and I'll write a report. The thing I enjoyed, like you mentioned, how it, it, it kind of reveals the world by doing it from different perspectives. And so you, you're like, oh, okay, I see that. And it was just, it's fascinating to watch how you did that. You kind of scare me a little bit, how your brain works. That's really <laughs> impressive. So, Thank you. I know, but you talked about some of your influences. When you were young, a little kid, and you're just thinking, I, I really enjoy this writing thing. Who were your influences? Oh, I mean, I was such an early reader. I went through a really long... Um, books with animals as the central character Mm -hmm. phase. So I read all of the Jim Kjellgaard books of Big Red and Stormy and all of the dog books. And I read all of the Black Beauty books. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got into Redwall before I finally moved back to humans. Um, And then Narnia, so Mm C.S. Lewis and Ursula K. Le Guin's books and Madeline Le Engel, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time's one of my favorite books. I love it. I do too. And she's so good at world building through characters that you Mm -hmm. care about. Like I could always so vividly see Meg and Charles Wallace and that's what I wanted to do. So those are some of my very earliest. Oh, I know. And you look at the world today and you're thinking, oh, a little bit of it going on here. Right. The happiest sadist. Very happy. It's fascinating though. And that's, but that's, one of the things, too, about this book, too, I mean, because we're, there's debates about artificial intelligence and everything else. You can honestly see this happening. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you write a book like this, yeah. what will happen is about once a week, you will get an email from someone with, like, subject line, OMG, original sin is real. That is about really? some of the technology oh, wow. moving towards stuff like this. And I really did feel the pressure as I was writing it that if I didn't write this and get it picked up quickly enough... Yeah something would happen that was close enough to it or veered off in such another direction. Like the, the time pressure was yeah. really on. We're moving so quickly these days. We really days. are. Welcome to my world, by the way, on satire. Right? I mean, how do you out-satire satire? <sighs> you, I mean, I, I am in awe daily, um, but don't always envy the task that you have. Well, let me ask you this, though, because you were talking about the research involved with that. I mean, did, were there people that you could contact or so forth, or did you just do like most of America and just start Googling? I did a lot of Googling. In yeah. fact, it would be really difficult, I think, to take on a project like this in a short-ish what amount we do of time without that? Google. I mean, seriously, what do we do I, I mean, I was that? thinking back to college recently, and I was like, oh, man, like, I really did go to the library and would take out 12 books at a time. Yeah. And now I'll get one book at a time and then Google some of the stuff that's referenced in the book. Um, and I did talk with a few friends, you know, like who are doctors to get a little bit of the terminology yeah. um, on some of those fronts. But the nice thing about setting a lot of it after all of this has happened is if you can root it in just enough realism, put just enough references to stuff that actually happened in it, and then you get to make it up, 
Yeah. It's a little bit of the pressure off. Because I tell you what, if you get one little historical uh, just bit of information wrong, you're going to hear from yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, you will keep hearing from them. Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the reviews so far have been really good. Thanks. How does, that make, how does that make you? Well, I know. There's, there's always going to be one Trolls person. Trolls are real. Yeah. They are real. Mm-hmm. You got to write a book about them. Yeah, they don't live under bridges. They live on the internet. I tell you, though, and I saw when you, you posted about the 100 rejection on Facebook, I said, if, if you don't write a book about that, and I mean, I know you probably didn't wake up one day, I'm going to write a self-help book. But it's like the, the, um, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, mm-hmm. which is one of the best books on creativity yeah. I've ever read, period. Seriously, you could write a book on that, well, on your experience, and I would go buy one. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah. maybe I will. I mean, one of my favorite books on writing is Stephen King's On Writing. Oh, that is definitely fantastic. And I feel like it's good life advice. It and is. that if I were to write it, that's what I want it to be. Something that's like, hey, here's some real practice, um, practice what I preach, actual nitty-gritty on writing. Yeah. But also, like, how do you just stick with anything? Right. Yeah, exactly. How do you not put your kid on eBay when they've been up for three nights? Because they're cute. Because they're cute. And they're your kid, too. Sorry. You do love them. I I know my children are probably watching this, and they're going to have nightmares. Sorry, Marshall's kids. I know it. I know it. When you went off to college, what did you get your degrees in? So I have my undergraduate degrees from Brandeis University, Mm -hmm. and I was an American Studies and Near Eastern and Judaic Studies double major, and I minored uh, in Hebrew language and literature mm-hmm. and to the creative writing track because oh, wow. yeah. it's a sort of a habitual that I right. want to do a lot at once. Uh, and then I have two master's degrees in social work from the Univers- University of Michigan and my MFA in creative writing from the W, Mississippi University for Women. And without at all slighting my W experience, which was fantastic, I still hold that uh, my degree in social work is probably more important to yeah. my writing. Right. I mean, that's where I really learned to listen and about to look people. at systems, right? right? And that's about people and it's about communities and it's always about what gets someone into the room, not just what you're seeing when they're in the room. What brought you to Mississippi? I first came down here for a job right after mm-hmm. I finished college. Jobs are good. Uh, jobs are good. And I was uh, given the very uh, compelling argument because I was, you know, I wanted to save the world. Yeah. Uh, I was given the very compelling argument that if you want to uh, save the world, why would you go where all your friends are going to New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and not come to Mississippi right. where there's room for you to get involved and make a difference? Um, and that got me down here. And I have family in Alabama okay. and uh, I was not entirely unfamiliar with the region, but I'd never lived in Mississippi. Um, so I was really starting from scratch and I was here for about a dozen years. Yeah. And it still feels like home. When I got to do home. the book event at Lemuria the other night, it was like homecoming. Was I mean, great. you walked in the building here and about half the people, hey, she's here, she's <laughs> back, she's here. You're, there's your parking space, just go ahead and park. I mean, you're like family around here. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm, I never thought I'd live here either. And when I got here, I'm like, this is the best place in the world for storytellers. Yeah, there's it there's so really many incredible is. stories. So. And I would love, I mean, there is such a rich literacy legacy here. Yeah to get to be any piece of it and changing the conversation again so people aren't worried about, you know, literacy levels so much as literary legacy in Mississippi. Like having 
any part in getting that to be what people associate with Mississippi is something I'm really proud to get to do. Oh, I know. I mean, it's like, oh, oh there's Angie Thomas. Hey, Angie. And when I moved here, it's like, oh, there's you, Dora Welty, in the grocery store. You know, it's just, yeah. we actually can bump up against people here that you just can't do yeah, most you get to places. walk among legends. Exactly. And 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 I'm not just saying this because you're sitting on my show right now, in time, but but when I met you, God, it must have been 10 years ago when I met you. Probably about and, that. And I started following your work, and I saw your plays, and, and I thought, you're going to be one of those people, too. Oh, and that's I think very kind. I think you're on your way. From your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, well, you know, I don't listen much, but <laughs> I will throw that out there. But, I mean, congratulations on this. Have you heard anything on movie? On that? So it's funny. Someone asked that at the book event the other night, and I said, I did get a couple of not the sort of nibbles that are exciting yet, um, but I did have one person call to ask who my entertainment lawyer was. Really? Luckily, they left a voicemail. Yes. So that I could hire an entertainment lawyer before I called them back. Wow. Uh, who luckily, uh, only when there is an actual offer charges. So I didn't have to like go spend money to get an entertainment lawyer. I just had to call someone and say, hi, would you be my entertainment lawyer? Um, so I will, you will be among the first to know if mm. when there is right. any sort of... When Steven Spielberg calls you up and says, okay, we're going to do the Stevie, movies. baby, call exactly. me anytime. I've been waiting for your phone call, man. What, what took you so long? <laughs> A little bit, I completely just, my brain just went blank. I was going to ask you something really important about creativity on that. What's what's coming up next for you? I mean, wh- I mean, you obviously, you've got the next two books written, you, you know. I mean, what's next? Just whatever hits you? Or? Well, I'm deep in edits. I actually just turned in the uh, edited manuscript for the second book, and yeah. I have a deadline in a couple of months because, I mean, again, with things moving so quickly, I, I literally, there are things that I have to change because it's already dated from when I, you know, finished yeah. a couple years ago, the draft. So very, very next is finish, finishing up all of the yeah. original Sin edits and continuing to sort of try to get that story out there. Uh, but I actually am now on a second draft of a book for middle grade students. Really? Yes. So Hannah Bear and the Nightmare. Uh, M-A-Y-O-R okay. uh, is the next project <laughs> that I'm working on. If you have young readers who want to read it, I'm now just in the phase of letting a few kids as well as adults read it and try um, to infuse this project with uh, actual input from, you know, real live young readers. Uh, so that's next. I'm excited about that project. And yeah, just sort of projecting ahead to do I have enough to keep always having a next project while um, promoting what's out there and telling more stories. Beth, thank you so much for coming in today and oh, talking to us. It's so good to see you. And, and like I said, we'll get you back on in about five years when you're super famous and we'll talk to your, your entertainment you lawyer at that point. So <laughs> that'll be great. But it's good thank to you, see Marshall. You. I so appreciate it. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.